Now then, welcome back. All right. How's everybody doing? It's episode 19. Yeah, me, Phil. And it's me, Carla. And you're listening to Terrifying and Twisted. I'm quite shocked that we're on episode 19. You you lot won't understand the sheer disgust <laughs> that Phil showed on Christmas Day when he opened up this podcasting um, mic. I thought it felt wrong person, that's why. You actually asked me, didn't you? Yeah. Um, but after a few conversations over Christmas, we decided, fuck it, we're going to try. Fuck it. And here we are, 19 episodes in. So, is everybody doing all right? We've um, got some suggestions for late night viewing. Yes, we have. Uh, my first one is Sky Crime, and that is The Killer Clown and The Candyman. Which is obviously John Wayne Gacy and Dean Coral. Yep. And it talks about how a lot of it, a lot of the crimes are alike. I didn't realise, I remember when you put it on, obviously we are both aware of both people, both cases. And I'm sure we said, oh, I hope, I hope it tells us something that we didn't know. Yeah. We do, we do say that a lot though. Yeah, and they generally do. Yeah. That one were really interesting because I didn't ever connect them two together. No, no, no. So it was quite good how they did I think that. A, I think a lot of people weren't connected them together, but when you look at them side by side, it's so obvious, isn't it? Yeah. So that were a good viewing. And also, I've got Netflix Des Nielsen tapes. <gasps> I love Des Nielsen. I know I shouldn't say that. I don't like him for what he did. But out of all serial killers, I think he really intrigues me. Yeah. Um, the David Tennant that he he played him, and I think he did such a good job. I remember bigging it up on one of the first episodes that we did. Yeah. Um, but listening to them tapes, as sick as this is going to sound, can you remember what you said to me? Well, I've got in bracket in brackets narrator voice <laughs> honestly there's something about that man's voice we even said that it really shouldn't be which obviously the narrator voice is Des Nielsen yeah it was quite soothing wasn't it we were like we could actually listen to him it's like the David Attenborough of uh, serial, serial killers, killers. yeah <laughs> so that that's a really good watch what about you um I'm trying to think what we've watched last night I enjoyed the first episode of the series we've started clickbait yep I think that's called on Netflix uh, that's a series so we've just started that apart from that that's it oh we've been watching a lot of um, A League of Their Own haven't we yeah we Ramesh on Saturday night we went to see a comedian yeah we did we went to Leeds so shout out to Gary Merkel it was good we enjoyed it and you really loved his support act didn't you yeah his support act were a lad called Jed Salisbury so if you're into comedy check them out yeah both funny um, it were a good night today I've been and done two escape rooms that were fun and you got out 
and I got out. Obviously, it's been Kerry's birthday this weekend. Mine and Carla's, uh, mine and Carla's, mine and Carla's record on escape rooms together is pretty shit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I don't think we've escaped one when it's just me and you. No. And normally you say only reason Kerry escapes is because of Becky. Yeah. But didn't happen today. Turns out it's just me. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but other than that, been pretty chilled, working. It's about it. So we're. Uh, do you want to tell me your case? Yeah, before we start, we'll just say, give us a like on social media. Yeah, please do. Um, we're not ones for needing to be liked. Over-promoting ourselves, sorry about that. <laughs> no, um, but it really does help. To know that there's people out there. <laughs> <laughs> that listen. We've got us regulars, I can't believe we've still got us Canadian friend. Yeah. Right from the beginning, that woman's... Um, Bigged us up, aren't she? Yeah, she has, bless her. And we've had his little um, inbox going, and uh, it's still going strong. So, so my case number nineteen is about a, a lady called Jessica Calamari. When I start these, I'm always like a lady or a gentleman. So my case this week is about a cunt <laughs> called Jessica Camilleri. <laughs> okay. At the time of this incident, she was 27. She lived in St. Clair, West, Western Sydney, Australia. Um, I couldn't find out what date she was born. Uh, parents, Vince and Rita. And she had an older sister called Kirsty. As in terms of her background goes, there's not a lot. Oh, it's a quiet one then. But I have got a little bit. Um, Jessica's IQ was between 55 and 60. Uh, she was placed in an intermediate class at school and teachers noted a delays in reading, writing, maths. Okay. Years behind her age group, which te- which led to uh, being teased uh, and bullied. And, and this had an impact on Jessica's life. She also was on the autism spectrum, which deficits in her judgment and awareness of other people's thoughts and feelings. Yep. Growing up, she would have difficulties with complex daily activities such as grocery shopping, catching a bus, taking care of her money, home care, stuff like that. Jessica had a fascination with horror movies, which was allowed to develop unchecked. She spent hours and hours every day for weeks, months and years looking at the same videos. Something a lot of artistic people do, have an obsession. Jessica explained that when she perceives a person is looking at her strangely or disrespectfully, she has minor reactions, which is called intermittent explosive rage disorder, where she loses all control. At school, she had massive outbursts attacking other students, other teachers. It was majority at time females, but on one occasion she bit a male student and even when they tried to pull her off, she refused to stop biting. After leaving school, she was placed in supportive environments where she carried on having these explosive outbursts and was asked to leave. She was unable to cope in all of these environments, so she ended up on a disability support pension. Jessica preferred to talk to men. She was not particularly interested in talking to women. Jessica seemed to have a disdain for women. She'd attack a lot of women, like I've just said. Jessica also had favourite numbers and colours and associate the two 
in a condition known as neurasphena. Number two was yellow, five was purple, and three was green. She will make up phone call numbers, try and phone them, and try and speak to people, preferably men. She called the number of a Bangladeshi family, unknown to her, up to 100 times a day just because she liked their number. Wow. In 2018, Jessica became, uh, began calling the numbers of staff at a Victorian meat company in Dalesford and developed a crush on the boss, Matthew Layfield. After she had called several male staffers, then she moved on to Layfield's wife and sister-in-law, who Jessica told, quote, I'll cut your head off with a chainsaw and flush it down the toilet, unquote. Nice. <laughs> She'd also be aggressive to women in the street and shopping centres. Jessica had been banned from a doctor's surgery after she became paranoid about a female patient in the waiting room. She became aggressive to the woman and had to be restrained. Driven to Nepean Hospital in Western Sydney by her mother, Rita, Jessica became aggressive with a female nurse. She was admitted at Nepean Piala unit psychiatric unit for nine days that were a mouthful put your teeth back in for an episode of severe mood disorder and placed on on lithium for purported bipolar affected disorder this had been in early 2018 but by late 2018 jessica was off her medication off it yes all right now jessica's parents separated when she was a teenager and her dad vince despaired that his wife could not discipline Jessica and that his daughter treated her mother badly. So he left. (laughs) Rita's uh, elder daughter, Kirsty, which is Jessica's sister, testified at the trial about her sister's troubled childhood and how once in desperation her mother had paid a medium $2,500 to get the demon out of Jessica. What year were all this? the year of the event is 2019 i don't understand how this is not years old yeah you know she she's not walking around with three heads and people don't understand how to deal with her a gentleman called professor greenberg who had been asked about this or he must have testified about it said despite jessica's low self-esteem she exhibited personality problems with narcissistic features. She presents as egocentric or self-centered, has a history of demanding attention and a problem when attention not focused on her. She has a sense of entitlement and an unreasonable expectation of favorable treatment. When her needs are not met, she can be furious. Right, so that's as much background as I can get up to this event. So we go to the date which is saturday july 20th 2019 jessica and her mother rita got into a heated argument about her behavior and what it was about is basically ordering some more food jessica wanted to order some more food her mum said no and she went absolutely nuts okay she'd already been on the phone calling this place called the red rooster which is where she wanted more food, at 9.18, and 9.21. And allegedly, according to this Professor Greenberg, she said her mother had told her, I've had enough, I'm ringing Triple O to get an ambulance here and put you back into the mental health care system. So Jessica went a bit crazy. There was a struggle over the mobile phone and Jessica knocked her mother down. Jessica then dragged her mother into the kitchen by her hair then she proceeded to brutally stab 
her mother between 100 and 200 times in the head with steak knives and she used between four and seven steak knives some of which broke that's pure fucking rage isn't it yeah that's a fucking lot sorry i just had a drink of tea just think how long it had a talk yeah and she used up to four different knives between four and seven wow so she's done that and then think about how long it's gonna take for her to proceed to behead her mother so it wasn't enough so she <coughs> she beheads her mother she removed her tongue her eyeballs and her nose wow it's alleged that she squeezed and prodded at her mother's eyeball and engaged in acts of cannibalism she should never have been off her meds that soon it gets worse so and that just proves my point this argument obviously sent Jessica into a fit of rage she said that she saw red dragged the mother through the house and stabbed her up to 200 times with seven kitchen knives Jessica admitted she didn't stop stabbing until she had taken her mother's head off now while this happened Rita her mother was looking after her grandson which was Kirsty's son and this a four-year-old boy was at home at the time of this brutal attack and suffered a minor injury. Jessica asked her neighbour to come and retrieve the little boy from in- inside the house. What I'll do now is I'll play you the phone call of when she <coughs> phones triple zero. Right. She phones. Yeah. Passes the phone to a neighbour. After the brutal cell, she took her mother's head outside. Dropped her mother's head twice on footpath outside the house. She said she'd killed her mother in a fit of rage to prevent being sent to hospital for psychiatric treatment. Rita Carol Mary, whose body had more than ninety defensive wounds just to her hands. Must have been in extreme pain and both shocked and terrified but by what was done to her, being done to her by her own daughter. Obviously, this was made worse by the presence of this four-year-old boy, yeah. who Jessica referred to as the little bastard and had fought off and wounded after the child tried to jump on her and stop her. Okay. Rita Camilleri had succumbed to the attack by a much bigger daughter after calling an ambulance following a series of deeply troubling incidents. This included threats of decapitation to strangers. Jessica called at random saying, I'll come over to your house with a knife in my head and shred your head to the neck. So she'd previously said stuff yeah. about beheading before. Sorry. Yeah. Camilleri was originally charged with murder but was found guilty of manslaughter by a jury last December. While she's been in prison, she's not exactly being good. Hmm. So just seven weeks after the killing of her mother, she attacked a silver water inmate because... She she was upset 
On September 9th, 2019, she threw a cup of tea over another prisoner over a disagreement of food. On October 14th, she assaulted another inmate and was given five days in her cell. On November 3rd, 2019, she disobeyed a direction and damaged property. Well, she sounds like she's proper learnt a lesson. Calamary was holding three prison meals as she confronted another inmate, a young woman charged with alleged sex uh, offences on children, saying, I'm still hungry, why should I ask for more food? And then she grabbed the air of the inmate who was seated and yanked it so that her head vaulted backwards. So, she's been really aggressive inside as yeah. well. She was handed a non-parole period of 16 years and two months. Her earliest possible release date is September 19th, 2035. Like I said, she was charged with murder, uh, but pleaded not guilty on the basis of substantial impairment due to a constellation of mental disorder. She was found guilty of manslaughter. So that's about it. It's just one crime. But a fucking shocking crime. Yeah. She hadn't just fucking killed her mum. No, she took her head off. She messed with her eyeballs. And she fucking cut her tongue out. And that four-year-old, that poor four-year-old boy saw it. Can you imagine the effects? And it's a reason, it's 2019. Yeah, I'm quite shocked at the little um, sort of... Wait till you see a fucking picture of her. <sighs> This is the best part, isn't it? Let me show you the picture. Come on, then, let me see. Let let me show you this picture of this woman that beheaded her mother. Wow. She looks fucking scary, don't she? Look at that one. She's, um, she definitely looks like the kind of girl that'd burn your clothes and scratch your car. If you looked at another bird. Oh, wow. Anyway, um... What did you think of that? I'm just quite shocked at she she proper fucking brutally murdered a mum. Yeah. Like brutally. I'm shocked that it well, let's be honest, it looked like this had been building up. And in my po- like as usual it's levels. Yeah. And that level escalates, the obsession starts. And then, then that's not enough. One day that level ain't enough. Yeah, and you need to up it a bit. Yeah. She just wanted some more food. Fucking that's She just hard. wanted more food in her belly. From fucking chicken shit. Get me a Kentucky Fried Chicken! I'll stab a bit, Job. Oh. So, on to my case. Um, this time I chose something a little different. I know you know about it already. A lot probably do. Um, But I thought, fuck it. It's a great case. I'm going to do it anyway. So, when I did this, I found it hard because a lot of cases we cover, there's always questions about the childhood. Could it have impacted? Um, Would things have been different? This fucking case... In my opinion, this girl had no chance. Anyway, um, so Mary Bell was an 11-year-old serial killer. I'll say serial killer loosely because technically you're supposed to kill three or more. She only killed two. Um, 
but yes, she was she was branded a serial killer by media. Um, <coughs> so Mary Flora Bell was born on the twenty sixth of May, nineteen fifty seven, in Newcastle. Her mum Betty um, was a sex worker. She was only seventeen when she had Mary. The first thing that she actually said after giving birth, and I quote, "Take that thing away from me." So from that's eight, what you said. Did I fuck? But you were saying it to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never come near me again. Um, three children later. Take that thing away from me. <laughs> so, yeah, you kind of, from day dot. Now, it's not actually known who's, who Mary's real dad is, um, but just before, before she turned one, her mum married a man called Billy Bell. Billy Bell. <laughs> Billy Bell end. Yeah, who basically acted a bit of a father figure. He, he were an armed robber and a career criminal so also an alcoholic um good role model yeah she didn't have best did she and this case really is a matter of nature versus nurture because honestly i i i don't know how i don't know how things could have been um i don't know if things could have been different um it seemed like this was always the path she was gonna walk. yeah so mary betty and billy all lived in an house um, it was constantly filthy and it was number 70 White House Road in Scottswood now Scottswood at the time was a really poor area it had massive high crime rate um, sex work domestic violence drug use so a pretty a bit of a shit hole now despite all that Mary and all other kids on the street <coughs> <coughs> Have you quite finished? Uh, uh. Um, so Mary and all other kids on the street were basically allowed to just play out unsupervised and kids as little as like two did just wander about. Which they did back in those days. days. Yeah, yeah. So Betty, she was a sex worker and she specialised in, and I can't say this word, sadomasochism. <laughs> what is it? Sadomachism. I can't say it now. Sado shit. Yeah. Um, whippings and strangling. Now, allegedly, once Mary turned four, Betty would pass her around to her clients who would pay her to sexually abuse Mary. That's some sick shit, innit? Yeah. Betty had bipolar. She was an alcoholic and she was just a fucking terrible, terrible mum. Mary was a chronic bedwetter as well which if you know about true crime it's one at first signs she was actually scared to go to sleep out of fear of wetting the bed because when she did her mum would rub her face in it and then like a lot of others ank mattress out everyone on the street can see she can Bless humiliate her, her. Um, you didn't do that to me when I pissed bed no I just <laughs> fucking tell you to move and I clean it up now it is I don't actually fucking piss the bed so people know <laughs> well stop with your bullshit then so it's also alleged that Betty tried to kill Mary several times according to her family Mary once accidentally swallowed loads of sleeping pills she then was hospitalised another time having to have her stomach pumped she told doctor that her mum had given her smarties nothing ever come of it Mary also accidentally fell out of a second floor window and Betty tried to choker so there's a few times that she wanted rid of her she in fact she wanted rid of her that bad she were walking into an adoption clinic to hand her over and when she went waiting room 
um, a lady come out crying because she'd been refused the right to adopt. So Betty just handed Mary over and went, here, take this one. I was bringing her anyway. So she did. This stranger took Mary and Betty toddled off back home. Um, and it were only because her mum, Mary's nana, threatened her and said, you've got two hours to get her back or I'm ringing place. Otherwise, she'd have, let her, she'd have left her. Yeah. It's also said um, that it's, for the first maybe six years, Betty's sister and her partner brought up Mary. They actually tried to adopt her on a few occasions. Ironically, Betty said fucking no. After giving her away to a stranger, yeah. she won't let her own sister have her. So yeah, they, they brought her up for the first six years. Now, Betty didn't have many friends. She wore, She refused to bond with anybody. She was described as cold and detached. I'm not surprised. She's been fucking passed around paedophiles. Yep. Pass, your mum don't want you. She's trying to kill you. Gets paid for people to sexually abuse you. Poor child. When she was four, she did make one friend. And that was a five-year-old girl that basically lived on the same street. Um, this little girl also backed Mary's story that Betty gave her smarties when she were in hospital, yet nothing ever come of that. Now, tragically, that little girl was hit and killed by a bus in front of Mary. So, on top of everything else... All the childhood trauma. The one friend you have, you witness <clears throat> being killed by a bus. At school, Mary was known as a compulsive liar, a troublemaker. She had violent tendencies and a really bad temper. Most other kids were, were scared of her, to be fair. But also, they were quite mean to her, so she also got bullied. She did have one friend called Norma, um, Norma Bell. They weren't related. They were neighbours, but they weren't related. And these two girls were joined at the hip. Norma were two years older than Mary, but Mary is basically said to have been the smarter one. She had the more common sense, and she was leader out at two. On 11th of May in 1968, when Mary were 10, and Norma were 12. They took a three-year-old boy called John to the shop to get him some sweets. Just under an hour later, um, both girls took John, who were bleeding from his head, into a pub, telling them that they'd basically found him on the street. So they phoned police in an ambulance, but when questioned, nothing really come of it. They just said that they'd found him. John went on to make a full recovery. That just... Uh, to interrupt, that with the two kids and a little boy... Oh, just reminds me of James Bull, Bulger, yeah. the picture, yeah. Charmaine. Uh, she mentioned, yeah, day, she James sent Bulger. us. If you don't know James Bulger case, it's absolutely massive. Worth looking fucking into, but it's awful. fucking horrific. Yeah. Mary did later admit that she pushed him off a ledge on purpose, causing him to cut his head. The next day, on 12th of May, there were another incident where three girls were basically playing in a sandpit and Mary just attacked them unprovoked. Seven-year-old Pauline was playing with two other girls, six-year-old Susan and Cindy. Mary basically just started strangling her and she was shoving sand down her throat at the same time. She then did exactly the same to Susan and then walked over to Cindy and said, what happens if you choke somebody? Do they die? Then tried strangling her. Apparently the marks around all girls' necks were that bad that they were visible for days after. Um, Pauline's mum went to police, but again, nothing was done about it. So that just meant that Mary's behaviour... Continued. And it escalated. On the 25th of May, Martin Brown, 
um, was a four-year-old. And like I said earlier on, like in them days, kids just played all unsupervised. He were out playing. Um, around three o'clock, he called into his auntie's house. She gave him some money to go to corner shop for a lollipop. He got there, got his lollipop, and then he was last seen at about quarter past three. Near this shop, is loads of like abandoned houses demolished buildings and stuff yeah and all kids used to play on there there were three boys that were in that area looking for some scrap wood and they found martin laying on his back with his arms stretched out with blood coming from his head so the boys shouted for help and then a group of workers ran over they found an ambulance but Martin were pronounced dead at the scene. It said that there were no visible signs of a struggle, no injuries to his body, but there were a little bottle of aspirin tablets next to him. At first, they thought that maybe he'd eaten some, thinking there were sweets and accidentally overdosed. After post-mortem, no cause of death could be determined, so the police believed it was just an accident with the pills. Apparently, all the community were outraged. They completely um, they started protests and marches because they believed that this area of abandoned buildings and all this rubble what cause of his death. So they started all these marches, um, and Mary and Norma were at front of all these, smiling, giggling. The next day, on 26th of May, Mary celebrated her 11th birthday, with Norma at Norma's house. And Norma's dad walked in on Mary strangling Norma's little sister. Fucking hell could I have said Norma in that sentence anymore. <laughs> um, he thought they were just playing and it were a bit rough. Even though his daughter apparently were turning purple, he basically separated him, told him not to be so rough, and he didn't think anything, anything else of it. Now, the day after that, a local nursery in Scotswood had been broken into and just vandalised. Police were called and they found four notes. First one read, We did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. The second one read, I murder so that I may come back. And the third one said, Fuck off, we murder. Watch out, Fanny and faggot. Now, the fourth were just like random words and slurs. There were shitloads of spelling mistakes and writing were definitely that, you know, of a kid. Yeah. But because Martin's death were ruled as an accident, the police decided that this was just a prank. And some kids thought it were a joke, and that's why they left him. Then over the next couple of weeks, Mary would constantly turn up at Martin's mum's house. Um, she'd ask her random questions, how she was feeling, did she miss him, Is she, does she cry over him, just really random things. Bearing in mind, this is a young 11-year-old girl. And then she started asking if she could see him, so... Obviously, Martin's mum explained, you can't, he's dead. And Mary said, I know he's dead. I want to see him in his coffin. Then started laughing. How nobody thought this behaviour needed addressing is fucking beyond me. Then, nine weeks later, on the 31st of July, three-year-old Brian Howie was last seen playing with his dog on White House Road. Around dinner time, his mum shouted him, but he didn't come back. So... A few people went out, started to look for him, including Mary and Norma, who apparently everybody said that they, they looked far too happy, um, skipping, singing, laughing and joking, you know, to say they were looking for this little boy. After no luck, um, the hours then called the police, who came out and helped. And then at 10 past 11 that night, they found Brian's body in, in a wasteland near his house, covered in weeds 
it were immediately clear that he'd been murdered. There were bruising and scratching around his neck where he'd been strangled. He also had scratches covering his face, blood coming from his mouth, and he just looked a mess. Bless him. So, Detective Chief Constable James Dobson was in charge of investigation. Now, he were also on scene earlier when Martin's body were found. And he said straight away he could see a connection between them. It were determined that there was no anger in the cuts to Brian's body, even though there were cuts. Um, apparently, it were done more out of a curiousness. The post-mortem determined that Brian was strangled to death at around half past three to 4.30pm that day. He had three scratches on the right side of his neck, two on the left. There were a series of compression marks on his nose, which suggests someone had pinched it shut. His genitals had been cut. There were six puncture wounds on his thighs. Now, all them marks, again, were superficial. They weren't deep. They're not what killed more, him. More like poking and prodding. Prodding, yeah. His hair had also been cut, and the letter M had been carved into his stomach. Now, the post-mortem said that originally it was the letter N, but after he died, the other line was carved, creating the M. Now, they said it would have took very little force to kill a three-year-old the way he was. Yeah. Um, the police decided pretty much straight away they were going to be looking for a child that did this. So, within the first 24 hours, they visited over a 1,000 houses and they interviewed over 1,200 children, including Mary and Norma. Now, it's said that both girls were visited a number of times due to the unclear answers that they kept giving. Yeah. Dobson said straight away... If to be a good liar. <laughs> you've got to have a good memory. Yeah. Something my dad said I were always shit at. Mary and Norma, um, he said straight away he thought they were sketchy. They kept changing the stories. Um, they were smiling all the time, like it was just a game. In one of Mary's interviews, she suddenly remembered some information. She said that on the day of Brian's murder, she'd seen this eight-year-old boy, who I can only refer to as A, because he were never disclosed. Um, and Brian this A boy and Brian were on the street together and they were playing. She said that she saw him hit Brian for no reason. He hit him around the face and his neck. She also said that she saw him playing with a pair of silver coloured scissors which were broken on one end. Mm. Funny that, isn't it? That's very descriptive, isn't it? It is. Mary also said that she saw A using these scissors to try and cut off a cat's tail. Now, a pair of scissors, identical to that description, were found near Brian's body. And that information had not been made public, meaning only police and the killer would know about them. So they must be thinking now, A, she's either telling the truth and she has seen this kid, or B... She's responsible yeah. for this murder. So the police obviously did some digging... But they then found out that on the afternoon of Brian's murder, boy A were actually at the airport with his family. So Dobson knew 
Mary were responsible. On the 4th of August, Dobson went and interviewed Norma. Um, I think it was fourth, third or fourth, fourth time. Now, in a previous statement, she said that she'd been playing with her brother and, brothers and sisters from around 2 o'clock till 5 o'clock. But after interviewing all other kids, they all said that they saw her playing with Mary. So Dobson called her out on it. Norma then said, yeah, I did play with Mary and she took me to see Brian. So Dobson decided to stop questioning her because um, this were at her house. And he said, took her to the police station for an official interview. That's when Norma basically specified that Mary had taken her to see Brian's dead body. She told him that she'd squeezed his neck, pushed up his lungs, because that's how you kill somebody. She said Mary ran her fingers along his purple lips and said she enjoyed it. Norma then went on to say that Mary showed her a razor and she lifted up Brian's shirt to show her the marks. Mary then hid that razor under um, like a concrete block and told Norma not to tell anybody. So he asked her, if I take you, will you be able to show me where this razor is? And she agreed. So at about 8.30 that night, they went down to where Brian's body were found and she pointed out to this concrete block and there it was, straight in, just underneath, no re real attempt to hide it. So at quarter past midnight on the 5th of August, Dobson went um, to Mary Bell's house, arrested her and brought her in for questioning. Mary were really agitated, very defensive. She actually threatened to call a fucking solicitor. <laughs> now, I find that really funny that this little 11-year-old girl sat there kicking off. I ain't off. seen shit till I get a lawyer. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, police told her that Norma had shown him this razor so she then threatened to kill Norma as well. But with no actual evidence and only Norma's word against Mary's, the police had to let Mary go until... They had some harder evidence. Yeah. Now, Brian's funeral was on the 7th of August and Dobson said, I want her to be there, check out who comes and basically keep an eye out for anybody that looks a bit dodgy. And he actually said it were at this point, he knew 100% that Mary were guilty. And this is a quote of what Dobson said. Mary Bell was standing in front of the Howie's house when the coffin was brought out. I was watching her and when I saw her there, I knew. I did not dare risk another day. She stood there laughing, laughing and rubbing her hands. I just thought, my God, I have to bring her in or she's gonna do another one. Can you imagine? seeing a, no. this little girl so obviously they then made decision to arrest mary and norma that afternoon they brought mary in first and she tried to pin it all on norma saying that she was one that did it in interview um dobson brought up martin brown because as i said before he thought straight away that they were connected he told mary that he thought it was Norma and her that had, you know, broken into the nursery and had written the notes. Mary admitted it straight away, but again pinned it all on Norma. Um, by eight o'clock that night, Mary was actually charged for the murder of Brian Howie. And by half past eight, Norma was also charged with Brian's murder. They were both held at the Newcastle West End Police Station. 
By the 21st of August, the investigation into Martin Brown's death was also complete. The police contacted the girls' schools, they got over the they got hold of the books, they compared handwriting to the notes that they found. Now it appeared that they both would alternate who'd write what line, so it were a mixture of both handwritings. And then also in one of Mary's school books they found a story she had written the day after Martin had died. And this is what she wrote. There were crowds of people outside an old house. I asked what was the matter. There has been a boy who just laid down and died. Now, underneath that story was a picture that she'd drawn of Martin's body laying dead, a workman finding the body, and near the body was the little pill bottle that was labelled tablets. Now, again, crazy part about this, nobody knew about that pill bottle. It weren't made public, public. media didn't get hold of it. So, again, only colour. Could know. Would have known. Grey fibres from Mary's dress were found on both the boys' bodies and fibres from Norma were found on Brian. So then both girls were also charged with the murder of Martin Brown. The trial started on the 5th of December 1968. Now, during the trial, most 100% believed that Mary were guilty, but there were a lot of doubt around Norma. Apparently, Mary's mother didn't help either. She was constantly interrupting it, um, storming out, then dramatically reappearing. It was like she was on a soap. I surprised she were there. Yeah, to be fair. She was probably there for fucking attention. Well, yeah. Um, now... On the other hand, Norma, she just appeared very much more childlike. The way she was responding to her questions, she was scared. Whereas Mary was just completely blank, didn't show no emotion whatsoever. So I'll play you this that was said in an interview about both girls. The two girls were very different in personality. Mary, very bright and sharp, and could answer back to the council when they questioned her. She could make quite witty little remarks. The other girl was not as bright, and I think was completely overawed by the setting. And in a sense, the court almost separated the two and said, therefore, the bright one must have done it, and the duller one probably didn't. So, both just completely different Mary had a complete lack of emotion and because of that she was examined by a number of psychiatrists. All said displayed psychopathic behaviours. On the 14th of December when trial ended Norma got acquitted on the grounds that she was basically manipulated by Mary so nothing came of Norma. Um, they basically said that they believed she didn't understand the severity of what had happened. Yeah. Mary was then convicted of manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility as she displayed classic symptoms of psychopathy. Absolutely. The judge described her as extremely dangerous and said that she posed a very grave danger to children. She was sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure, which obviously just means kind of indefinitely. Now, because of this case and how unlikely it is for an 11 year old 
to kill and the police completely not being used to punishing somebody of that age, mm-hmm. they didn't have a clue what to do with her. Yeah. Mental hospitals weren't equipped to take her. She was too dangerous to be put in any sort of homes for troubled kids. So she basically was sent to Red Bank Special Unit in St. Ellen's, which were basically a reformed school. Now, it did originally operate exclusively for boys, but it was changed for Mary. Now, Betty would visit her regularly. Mary were always excited to see her, but afterwards she were always aggressive and acting out. Going back to her performance in court, Betty also cashed in massively on her daughter, mm-hmm. selling the stories to anybody that had listened. Um, she were even paid 50k for one interview. Wow. Uh, she made some fucking money. She'd even ask Mary to write letters to her and poems so she could always keep selling. She just saw her as a fucking cash cow. Eventually, um, Mary went on to blame her mum for how she turned out, writing her this letter, begging her to take responsibility for her upbringing. When Mary turned 16, she was transferred to Moorcourt Open Prison. In 1977, at the age of 20, Mary actually escaped the prison to meet up with a boy to lose her virginity. Standard. She then was found and returned and given a 28-day ban on privileges for breaking the rules. Three years later, in 1980, Mary was 23, she was released from prison and she granted a nominator? A nominator? <laughs> Is that how I say it? An nominator. That An- word. Animate. Fucking hell. Right, anyway. We can't talk in Yorkshire. So she was released from prison and she basically, no one, she was granted to be kept under wraps, no one knew her. Change her name. So on the 25th of May, 1984, Mary gave birth to a daughter who also was granted the same. She was granted it up until her 18th birthday and apparently Mary never actually planned to tell her daughter about her past and what she did. But at the age of 14, people started to find out. So they ended up moving and they ended up going back to court and she were actually granted it for life as well as her daughter. So the whole family are under court protection. And as it stands, Mary's current whereabouts are unknown and still to this day protected by the high court so what you would say is if she's under police protection or whatever she's obviously managed to turn her life around Mm -hmm. she's not ended up back in prison there's no No, you know she's got out she's stayed out there's no aftermath no i do believe it would just a horrific fucking childhood what i will say (coughs) it might make me seem a bit of a dickhead and like I'm a perfect parent but I'm not but the responsibilities that you have as a parent to fetch your child up to be you know a good person yeah with good morals she didn't get any of that it was just the worst kind of upbringing yeah and they they made her into that I believe this is what I meant at the beginning it was quite hard to do because yes those two poor boys lost the life and it, it were awful but she was just a child yeah. this is where the differences in the, the jamie bulger incident yeah. and this those boys were fucking calculated yeah. and evil and cr- just 
the most horrific, yeah, who's, who, who again have been in and out of prison since for child sex porn, yeah. you know. It's always that question, are monsters made or are the born monsters? Yeah. And I, I think I just think it's both. Uh, yeah, it's not one or other. I don't, yeah, I don't think he can say. Can he? He can't say it is because in this case, Mary Bell was created yeah. into a killer. And one thing that I found really interesting is Mary. She didn't try to do anything like that to another person her age. No, they were always a lot younger. Yeah, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, she could have quite easily, in my opinion, from everything I've read, she could have quite easily have killed Norma. Yeah. Someone of her own age. Yeah. She she would have had that ability. And obviously she had them narcissistic tendencies, tendencies. and psychopath tendencies to not even look at trying to kill Norma's little sister as an issue. Yeah, and I just think, again... Going back to levels and stages, there were so many incidents, so many attacks that she... But again, it were a different era, wasn't it? And it were a different time. It's not... It was, but I, I fucking hate that bullshit. No, I don't mean... Era, a different time. It's not an excuse for how you bring up your No, children. that's not what I meant. I wasn't going to say that. I meant in terms of people stepping in and preventing Mary's behaviour from getting any worse. So, for example, it was reported to the police what she did to them three girls in Sandpit. Yeah. But nothing were done. Yeah. It was reported that she did these attacks in school. Nothing were done. Do you know what I mean? So, I didn't mean by her parents, because, yeah, that is bullshit. I mean in terms of services. Yeah. It wouldn't be allowed to escalate nowadays. But it does. Yeah, some do slip through net, but I just think that's what I meant by it were a different time. Yeah. I think that there were loads of sort of missed opportunities. That poor girl, if she'd have just been left with that stranger, her life could have been completely different. Oh, could it? This is, this is the thing. A, a monster's made or the fucking created, created into yeah. monsters. See, I'd like to believe that she probably wouldn't have gone on. What damage already done yeah. by then? Yeah. You know, at four year old... And mum were fucking pimping her out. To fucking nonsense. So, is that damage, do that damage already done? Oh, there's so many questions. On that note, I hope you've enjoyed episode 19. Yeah. So, we'll see you in two. See ya.